blessing. And uh, we're glad you're here tonight. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and find Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter number one. Find that place in your Bible this evening. It is the Christmas season, and uh, regardless of whether you believe Christ was born in December, or January, February, March, April, it doesn't matter. Jesus was born, and, uh, and, and God records his birth in great detail and a lot of events of, around it. And so we take this time of year to remember those things. And what we're going to do tonight and every Sunday night, the month of December, is we're going to be looking at uh, some things concerning the, the birth of Christ. And what the Bible has to say. And tonight uh, we are going to preach what we call a doctrinal message. And uh, this is a fundamental. Now there are a lot of things in our Bible that we call fundamentals. By fundamental it means it's important that you have them and believe them in order for salvation. Kind of like your body. Many years ago I had my appendix removed and I, that was uh, in June of 2000. Now, I have lived these past 23 years without my appendix just fine. My appendix is not a fundamental. I've had, I can have other things removed. It's not important. But my friend, if, if I have no kidneys, if I have no liver, if I have no heart, and it's been debated whether I have a brain or not, you cannot survive. Those are fundamentals to living. Christianity, we can debate on when exactly the rapture is going to take place. Is it pre, mid, or post-trib? We can debate that all day long. That's not a fundamental. We can discuss a lot of other things. But there are some things, in order to be a Christian, you have to believe them. These are fundamentals. These are Bible truths that help us to understand how salvation works and what God did for our salvation. If you throw this out the window, then you don't have salvation. And of course, we are referring tonight to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a truth we probably preach every year. Now, I don't preach the same message, but we do talk about this topic, and I will say things that I have said before in the past and maybe even said this morning because, again, it's a fundamental truth, and we are reinforcing uh, what we may already know and try to encourage you. The virgin birth is a much attacked and maligned Bible doctrine, and Satan will attack that doctrine because if he can destroy it, he destroys Christianity. Now we have the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's called the gospel. That's how we get saved. But my friend, it can be clearly argued that if we do not have a virgin birth, there can be no death, burial, and resurrection. It's important that Jesus Christ be born sinless in order for us to be saved. So one of the first fundamentals that we are introduced to in our Bible that Matthew refers to and Luke refers to in, their, in the beginning of their presentation of the life of Christ is the truth of the virgin birth and stresses it uh, several times and talks about Mary and what was going on and refers to Old Testament Bible prophecies. And so we're going to do that tonight in the time that God has given to us. I ask you to give me your attention, turn the world off for just a few moments, and, uh, and let's listen to what the Holy Spirit of God has to say through his word, and, uh, and let's be encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in our faith. Now we take our Bibles, we are in Luke's Gospel, and in chapter number 1, and the Bible tells us as we begin reading in a new paragraph in verse 26, and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God 
unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Father, we've come tonight. The songs have blessed us, and we're encouraged by being here. Thank you for holding off the storm and the wind and the rain for us tonight, and, and we'll need your safety on the way home. But thankful, Lord, we can have church. The doors are open, and the building is comfortable. And, Lord, we are free to study Scripture without fear. Now, bless tonight. May the Spirit of God work and move in a special and mighty way. And uh, may we be encouraged and challenged in the things that we read and understand. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In verse number 27 of your Bible, two times God, the Holy Spirit of God, uses the word virgin in reference to Mary. It tells us that, first of all, that the angel appeared to a virgin, and then it tells us who that virgin's name was. Now, again, looking at the virgin birth of Christ, uh, we need to think honestly. We need to think deeply about this topic because, again, as we've said, this is a very necessary uh, uh, Bible truth that we need to put some concentration in and to think about. And one question that needs to be asked, why would God's Son have to enter the world through a virgin? Now, maybe you already know that answer, and the reason you know that answer is because you've read your Bible. But people may ask that question, why is it necessary that there, a woman who's never known a man uh, give birth to this child? So again, why was it necessary? Or simply put, why was Christ born of a virgin? Well, why is the virgin birth necessary? And I want you to notice, by the way, in your Bible, that the Bible says in verse 27 that Mary, uh, twice it makes reference to that topic. And then in verse number 34, even Mary refers to her purity, where it says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this thing be, seeing I know not a man? Even Mary is confused because she... Uh, doesn't understand how she can become expecting with a child if she has never known a man. So three times in this one chapter is, is references to Mary's purity and, and, to, and to how she has lived her life so far to this date. Again, please forgive me for drinking water. I don't like to drink while I'm preaching because I know you're probably sitting there going, I wish I had a bottle of water. And, uh, <coughs> but it's only because my throat is scratchy and I'd rather drink something instead of start coughing on top of you. Amen? So, bottoms up. Crystal's drinking coffee. I'm drinking water. <coughs> now, <coughs> the birth of God's son required a miracle. He could not be born through the natural process that men are born. If he had been born as other men are born, his very birth would indicate that he was nothing more than merely a man. If Joseph is the biological father, then my friend, Jesus Christ is really no different than the rest of us. He had to be set apart. He had to be different in this, in this case. But this is, when we look at Christ and understand who Christ is. Now the word Christ means anointed. It's a reference to the Messiah. And so when a Jewish person in Bible days, here's the word Christ. They think anointed Messiah. And they're thinking this is the one who God has promised. Us who have grown up in Christianity, uh, we just hear Christ. We automatically think Jesus without really understanding the reference uh, to who he is. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the nation of Israel and what God was going to do for them. If he had been born as other men, again, we've already indicated that he'd be no more than merely a man. 
But again, this is not so with Christ, because Christ already previously existed. Jesus Christ, as we think about it, did not begin in Bethlehem or in the womb with conception. He is the eternal word who, part of the Trinity, existed and is part of and is the creator of the world. John's gospel in chapter number one makes us very clear that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the eternal word. And I'd like you to take your Bible. Let's look at just a few verses tonight. And look at Hebrews. Hebrews in your Bible tonight in chapter number 10. And please pray tonight as we preach that the Lord help us to make things plain and clear. And we all understand tonight. In Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, again, the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people to convince them the fact that Christ is their Messiah. And why Christ is so much better than having things that were merely types of the Messiah, like the temple and sacrifices and priests and, and all those other things were just merely foreshadowing what Christ would do, what the Savior would do. Now, as the Hebrew writer is, is, is relaying this message to the Jewish people, he says in verse number uh, 5 of Hebrews 10, Wherefore, notice what it says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world... He saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Verse number 5 is showing us that here is the eternal word speaking. We would, would call him Christ. We call him Jesus. That's his earthly names. But here is the eternal word speaking as he leaves heaven to be entered into the womb of Mary, saying that... Uh, the sacrifices of animals and goats will not suffice. A body has been prepared. That body, the purpose of that body, the purpose of that baby is to grow up to be a what? A sacrifice. Christ was born to die. Christ was born to shed his blood to be that perfect lamb, to be the Passover lamb, to do what other animals could not do, or all the animals, I should say, or what animals could not do, he as a perfect man. And what did God require in the animal sacrifices? But perfect animals, animals without blemishes, animals without spots, and, 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 and good-looking animals, not the, the ugly, scruffed-up and, and, and the, the defective ones, but perfect animals. And so Christ comes as the perfect man without sin to be the perfect sacrifice. The birth of and we can turn back, but the birth of God's Son required a combined act on God's part and on a woman's part. God is going to use the woman to help fulfill His plan. And if you pay attention to your Bible, God often, so many times, relies upon a human being to help fulfill something He's going to do. He's looking for Now, God could do all these things by Himself, or He can get an angel to do it, but God says, Hey, Moses, I'm going to use you. Hey, David, I'm going to use you. Hey, Jephthah, I'm going to use you. Hey, Ruth, I'm going to use you. Hey, Esther, I'm going to use you. Hey, Rahab, I'm going to use you. And on and on the list goes of God using people for his work. And God is now, in the most important work of salvation, is going to incorporate a woman into his plan. This woman's name is Mary. 
And God had already told us back in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15 that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come through what? A woman. God is going to use a woman to fulfill this plan. Now, a question needs to be asked. Why is it so hard to believe that God can use Mary to miraculously conceive? Now, for Christians, it ought not to believe, but the world struggles with that. Why is it so hard to believe that God exists and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? We, we should not struggle with that. But God did give us his son. And again, the idea that God is going to do something. A child can be born. Now, we don't struggle with this. I don't struggle with this. You should not struggle with this. That God is going to cause a woman to have a child without a man involved. God created a man without anybody involved. <laughs> he just took dust and made man. And then when he made woman, he took woman from the side of man and gave her life. God, as we've learned this morning and in many verses, that with God, there's nothing impossible. God can do all things. There's nothing too hard for God. So the idea of a woman giving birth and not knowing a man, again, is not a hard thing. And we should not struggle with it. The birth of God's Son required a miraculous nature, both a divine nature and a human nature. We know God is divine. God is a holy God. And here is man. And man is a sinful creature. And understand that Mary was a sinner in the sense we're all sinners. But the sin nature of, of us is passed through the man. Adam sinned. Everybody wants to blame Eve all the time, but my friend, the Bible makes it clear that sin entered into the world through man. Even though Eve ate first, she gave to her husband, it was man. Man brought sin into the world. So when you get to heaven, don't look at Eve with, 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 uh, with crossed eyes. Okay. And by the way, if, if it was you, we'd all mess it up. So don't, don't look at anybody, because we're all just as guilty, and we all got us the same problem. I don't know about you, somebody says, don't go into that door. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, we had a person in church years ago, they moved into an apartment, and, and the landlord said, uh, I, I got the attic closed off, and I put nails here, and, and don't go in there, there's really nothing in there. It's just a, a crawl space, there's nothing in there, and of course my friend could not resist, and he opened it up, and, and lo and behold, there was nothing in there. And when they moved out, the landlord said, you went in there, didn't you? Oh, no, I, I didn't go. Went, yes, you did. You went in there. I can tell you went in there. Therefore, you're not getting your, <laughs> your uh, security deposit. And so, But curiosity got the best of him, and he found nothing in that crawl space. My friend, Adam sinned, and sin came into the world. Now... As we think about Adam, we think about the, what God did here. God is going to have a miraculous nature. There's a divine nature and human nature are coming together. And Jesus Christ is going to be the perfect God and he's going to be the perfect man. We don't, we're not, there's nobody perfect on planet earth. My, when I was dating my wife, she thought I was perfect and I married her and she learned that I am not. Amen. I make a mistake every now and then. I don't think I do. I, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. Now, as we learn here in Scripture, the problem, what God is going to do, God is, this, this divine nature, 
And look in your Bible again. Go to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. In Hebrews chapter number 2, we see something here Scripture says. In Hebrews 2, verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil. Now pay attention to that verse. All of us are flesh and blood. And he's making reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, how he took upon and he was flesh and he was blood. And, but through his flesh, he was able to destroy death. He conquered death. You and I cannot conquer death. No man has been able to conquer death. There was a movie on the other night. I didn't watch it, but I used to watch it. My sister would, and I would watch it growing up as kids. It was a, it's an old movie, old black and white from the 1930s. And, and basically, uh, death comes for an old man. And uh, it's a long story, but he, he, death gets stuck in the tree and can't get out. And, and nothing is dying on planet Earth because the old man has death stuck in the tree. It's a, it's a, it's not, it's, it's, it's a humorous, lighthearted movie. And, and so death's sitting in the tree because you have to watch. It's called On Borrowed Time, an old Lionel Barrymore movie. And you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. I know the two movie critics back here would probably give it two thumbs up if they watch it. And, uh, but my friend, no man can get death stuck up in a tree. No man can conquer death. That's a Hollywood movie. And by the way, at the end of the movie, uh, I won't tell you the end, but it's because, you, you know, wow. Uh, understand, <laughs> we cannot conquer death. But here in this verse, it says that through death, he might destroy him that a power of death, that is the devil. And to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Now that's again reference to Christ. Christ, God, became a man of Jewish skin. Verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Now in this verse, it's a reference to Christ and how Christ becomes flesh. How God takes upon flesh for the purpose of destroying death so that death cannot destroy us. Satan has power in death and to take life. But with Christ, Jesus said, He that believeth on me shall what? Never die. We don't fear death because death can never touch us. We merely go from one place to another. That's why the Christians should not... I've been in hospitals where people were dying and terrified of death coming for them. And it's a sad situation. But those who know Christ, and I was with the hospital with Miss Nancy when she was dying, and with many other people as a pastor when they are dying, and we've had some sweet, private, personal conversations as they, we knew, they knew their time was coming, but they were not fearful. They were filled with hope of knowing they're going to see Jesus in just a few short hours and were, and were uh, thrilled with the anticipation of it all. Oh, to think about what that might be, to know when the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's no more hope, and you just have hours to live. And like, I'm going to be seeing Jesus soon. Oh, the, the joy that may be in that moment. 
Well, why is death not going to touch me? Because Christ becomes flesh. God becomes flesh and dies for us. He had to be born by a miraculous act of God so that, uh, and not be a partaker of man's corruption. This virgin birth leaves out the sin part and makes him perfect so that he can save you and I. Our faith must be a, in an incorruptible Savior. Many years ago, there was a Jewish rabbi in New York City, and many of the Jews in New York City considered him to be the Messiah. And they thought he was going to be the one to rescue the Jewish people. Well, sadly, the dear man died, and they're all waiting for him to resurrect. Well, they're still waiting 20 years ago. He's still dead. He's not the Messiah. He was just a Jewish rabbi, but he's not the Messiah. Their faith was mistaken. They put their faith in the wrong thing. Christ is born. Christ is exempt or has no corruption. Therefore, he is able to save. We put faith in an incorruptible Savior. The birth of God's Son required, again, the, uh, the birth of a perfect nature. Now, Christ lives a perfect life. We see this all throughout the New Testament. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Temptation is not a sin, but yielding to temptation is the problem. We are all tempted every single day. It's yielding to that temptation. I remember many years ago when we were first married, I went to the mall. I've told this before, so you may remember this. But I was walking out of the mall, and a young man was walking in, and he, he put his keys in his pocket. When he pulled his hand back out, a wad of cash fell on the ground. Now, if I was a, and I was, by the way, I wasn't tempted, but I immediately told the man, you dropped your money. And he looked back, and he, he picked up the wad of cash and was grateful that I told about that. And if I was a corruptible and reprobate, I would have, woohoo, and let him go and swooped in and picked up that cash, and that man would have had a, Horrible Christmas. Now, my friend, we as human beings know what it's like to be tempted. And sometimes we may be tempted. Hmm, should I say something? Should I not? Christ was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Righteousness is what God requires. Perfect righteousness. Perfection needed to be secured. And Jesus Christ, through the virgin birth process, secured the righteousness for us. Kaylee has risen from her sleep. And she's wondering, wondering what happened to her world. She was safe in the car. Now she hears she's in church and some guy screaming. Now, look at your Bible, if you will, at Romans chapter number 5. The book of Romans is a marvelous chapter that deals with a lot of doctrinal truths that we need to understand and learn. And we're not going to go into them all tonight. But in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 1, it says in uh, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as the God-man, came and he, he, he justifies us because He is perfect. The perfect one is able to do for us what we, the imperfect, cannot do. As God-man, Christ was able to consummate both the human and the divine. He has the capacity and the innate power not to sin. 
Now, you and I, I don't think, possess the ability not to sin. It's almost programmed into our DNA that we are going to sin. We were born sinners, and then we, we sin through our choices that we make in life. Christ, on the other hand, as the perfect, as God, perfect God, and sinless man, has the power not to sin. I always looked up to, to, to people in my life, role models, and, 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 and it's good to have role models. It's good to look up to people and, 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 and have heroes, so to speak. We have heroes in our Bible we look up to. We all admire the, the, the great men and women of Scripture and think, boy, I, 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 I admire him. We can identify with some people in the Bible. I think all of us can identify with Peter. We like Peter because we can see us in Peter. I can't identify with the Apostle Paul. He's up here. I'm down here. And it's like, I'm glad you're up there, but I don't think I can ever reach Mount Pisgah's lofty heights where you are. But I'm glad you're up there, Paul. You're a, you're a role model for me and helping me. Thank you. We all have these things. But understand, my friend, uh, in Christ we have somebody who does not sin. It's sad when somebody sins and somebody falls and messes up their life. It's tragic. And I encourage you and will encourage you that when you sin, when you mess up, the first person to come see you to help you will be the preacher. I promise you that. We don't throw anybody under the bus. We're there to pick up and lift up the fallen and to restore people. Sadly, though, when the preacher sins, he's usually the last one to be forgiven. That's the sad reality we find throughout the church age. As Christ, he was able to live a righteous life and never sin. Christ was able to secure righteousness. And that's what God wants. Christ secured righteousness. And if he has righteousness, then he can give righteousness. And what is it that mankind needs? What is it that you need? What is it that I need? If I am going to see God, what is the requirement on the gates of heaven? Righteousness. And I have no righteousness of my own. Any righteousness I have is the righteousness I have received from Jesus Christ who secured it for me. That's why there's no bragging in heaven. I'm here because I was really, I'm here because of Jesus. And so are you. So just be quiet and let's praise him. As God, man, he was able to bear the sins and judgment of the sins for all men. When he died, he died as the perfect ideal man. Therefore, his death is able to cover and stand for all men. And again, that's important. We, we are, we, in a few months, we will celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate it because we celebrate the virgin birth. He was born sinless. And he, he's going to die as the perfect man for us. The perfect man sacrifice as the god man christ was able to rise from the dead you're in your bible look if you will at romans again if you lost it you can find there in romans he says in verse chapter number one and verse number three concerning his son jesus christ our lord which was made of the seed of david according to the flesh. There's a reference to him being flesh. 
and declared to be the Son of God with power. That's his deity. God and flesh come together according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He lived a perfect and holy life, which he became a perfect and ideal man. Therefore, his resurrection covers and stands for every man. He can do for us what we cannot do. And as the God-man Christ was exalted to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is seen in Scripture. Hebrews and other places talk about him there. The birth of God's Son required the creative word of God. God created the world by simply speaking. That's how God made all things. God spoke all things into existence. And what is the name for Jesus Christ? But he is called the what? The Word. He is the Word of God. The Word of God has power. God speaks and things happen. God speaks and nothing becomes something. People brag all the time about their, the great power of science and the ability for science to do this. In order for science to do something, they have to have something. <laughs> You, you, don't talk to me until you make something out of nothing. Take and then make it. Make this microphone, but make it out of nothing. We can't. We have to get the plastics from the earth and all the oils and everything else to make this microphone work. Thank God for it. But it took something to make it. God spoke and all things came into existence. That's power, my friend. And Jesus Christ is the Word of God. We call this book that you hold in your hand, what do we call this book besides the Bible? We call it the Word of God. If we're to see people saved, how do we get people saved? We give them the Word of God. Quote Scripture, not fuzzy stories. Quote Scripture, not happy tales. Tell them the Bible. It's Because this Bible is the sword of the Spirit. The birth of God's Son required, again, this word to create a body. He created a body and, and did these things for us. The birth of God's Son required the virgin birth because Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He is God's only Son who, who possesses all nature and fullness of God. And by the way, in John 3.16 it says the oh, his only begotten Son. I was watching a commercial the day, and a guy came in there as a Christian commercial, and the guy quoted John 3.16, and he, and he quoted a false version which said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's not what the Bible says. Your Bible says God, his only begotten son. That begotten refers to the virgin birth process. It refers to his sinlessness. That's the only person who's ever been born through that process. Because God, and if we, by the way, use that false version where it says God gave his only son, is that scriptural? Because, my friend, what happens to you and I when we get saved? What do we become but sons of God? So that verse is wrong. You have to have that begotten in there. And I know most people, by the way, who, who use false versions always, when they quote John 3.16, always quote a Queen, King James version of it. Because they know it's not doctrinally correct. Words mean things. And words are important. That's why God put them in the book. 
He's the only begotten, the only one born this process. Don't throw that virgin birth out. Don't dismiss it. It's vital to your soul's salvation. There is no salvation apart from being proclaimed as the only begotten Son of God. The birth of God's Son required a second Adam. We sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in that verse it talks about second Adam from above. Reinstate us in thy love. Well, what does that mean? What's, the, what's Wesley talking about when he, he, he mentions that? The first Adam, our grandfather, so to speak. We all go back to Adam and Eve. They're all our parents. Well, our, the first Adam messed up. The first Adam failed. But Christ came and, and Christ did what Adam could not do. Look, if you will, at Romans chapter number 5. I have a thousand notes tonight. I don't know if I'll get through all of them, but we'll, do, we'll see where we can end up tonight. It says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. My friend, that's an important verse in your Bible. Sin has entered into the world, and death is, is upon all of us. Death is separation from God, removal from God. All mankind has, is, ha, cannot have access to God. He says in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be made dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Now let's just think about that. Where Adam brought us death, one man brought death upon the world. One other man comes and he brings salvation. The gift, he says in verse 15. We, we exchange presents at Christmas time. We call them gifts. And a gift has no strings attached. It's here. Take it. What do I have to do for it? Nothing. It's a gift. God gives a gift of salvation through Christ. It's by grace. Verse 16, and not as it was by one man that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses and just unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. The birth of God's Son required uh, us here as to uh, experience this free gift of salvation that we can be saved. Now again, 
When we think about the virgin birth, we think about it's a Matthew talks about it. Matthew references it. And let's just close out tonight with Matthew's reference to this free gift uh, or the Old Testament prophecy concerning it. In Matthew's gospel, chapter number one. In verse number 22, actually in verse number 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. God is with us. So again, God, the eternal word, enters the womb. And Luke's gospel says that the Holy Spirit of God uh, sparked that life in the womb of Mary. And a child is now conceived just by the moving of the Spirit of God. That child in that womb is the holy child. It is the Christ child child and Christ anointed one the perfect one with no earthly father no Adam no relationship to Adam because he's virgin she's virgin born and he comes in as the second Adam Adam came in perfect and failed Christ as the second Adam with no earthly father comes in and does the job lives a perfect sinless life and dies as a perfect sacrifice for you and I. But again, the Bible says, this is reference to what you find in Isaiah chapter number 7. And verse number 14, where the Bible says that a virgin shall conceive. And that word virgin in your Old Testament, again, is the, is the same word that we use in our English for somebody who is pure. Somebody who has never known a man. Somebody who's lived a, 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 a perfect life. And a pure life. And Mary was living that life up at that point in time. But why is the virgin birth necessary? Well, I hope you see why it's necessary tonight. Because without the virgin birth, you and I do not have salvation. We are, our Savior has a sin nature, and therefore he cannot redeem us. But since he is the virgin-born son, he has no sin nature. He lives a sinless life dies on Calvary's cross as the perfect sacrifice because what does God require for sin to be paid for? Two things, death and blood. Sin cannot be paid for unless there's death and there's blood. And Christ dies on Calvary's cross while shedding his what type of blood? Perfect, sinless blood and can sprinkle it upon the heavenly mercy seat as the perfect sacrifice for you and I, that we can then be made the righteous of God and have access to heaven itself. So regardless of when you think Christ was born, my friend, the fact Christ was born, <laughs> and he was born so that we might be saved. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight for the word of God. We thank you for Christ who loved us. Lord, we... Think about this miraculous birth. We marvel at the whole process. 
Satan has done his best to mock it, to belittle it, to make it crude and vile. But Lord, it's a Bible truth nonetheless. Our Savior came to a woman who was pure so that he might be the sinless Son of God to die for us and raise again the third day.